Okay. By a show of hands, how many people here have ever been confused by baptism? How many people have ever gotten into an argument about baptism? Only a handful of you? How many people here have uh, always believed that you do baptism right and there's many that do baptism wrong? How many of you are just not wanting to raise your hand? <laughs> See how that got you all to raise your hand? It's amazing. <laughs> oh, well, I want to start out by publicly apologizing to Jeremiah. He always will be Jameson to me now from this moment on. And uh, I had one time where a mistaken name thing was actually a very fun moment. We first started on the air in Arizona. And we were replacing a legendary morning show that played a lot of Gaither's music, and they just were old school, you know. And then we come on with our just loud, obnoxious hijinks. And the second day we were on the air, this guy calls the radio station, and he says, I want to speak to the person in charge. And I was the only one there. So I said, I'm the guy in charge. And he said, I want to complain about that new show, that Frank and Emily show. It's horrible. And I just, I don't know, I was in the moment, I just said, well, good for you, we just fired Frank, and Chris is starting tomorrow, so, oh, I look forward to that. <laughs> so anyway, Jeremiah, sorry, man, I feel horrible. All right, look, some form of water baptism is almost universally practiced in all religions. It is. All right, look. It's pretty common knowledge that universally some sort of religions, or some sort of baptism is in just about every religion out there. But in Christianity, Jesus adopted it as a way for his followers to identify with him. And it has come to more and more commonly being identified with authentic Christianity is baptism. Some even believing it to be synonymous with salvation. But just how important is water baptism? Let's take a walk through scripture to see. That's all we're going to do today. If you got your notes, I asked six things and I answer all six of these things. This is not hard. Okay? To watch people divide themselves over this concept with the word of God that's been handed to us in plain, simple language that's been translated many different ways is the same as if we were going to divide ourselves by how we tie our shoes. You know? Oh, those are bow people. Oh, they double knot over here. We're single knot. Single knot is the best. Or the world-famous fable Gulliver's Travels, the, east, uh, the big enders and the little enders, it's how they broke open their eggs. They divided themselves and started a whole culture. When, at the end of today, I want you to see that baptism did not need to be that for thousands of years. Let's take a walk through scripture to see. We're going to start with a foundational verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Now what I'm going to do with this verse, I'm going to show it to you in three different translations, okay? Since none of us read original Greek, we have to stand on other scholars, and so some of that comes through in translations. Fair enough? The first one we're going to read is the English Standard Version. It says this. This is the key to everything. Don't miss this part. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Y'all get that. All right, let's go to the same verse now out of the King James Version. It says this. It says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember the word figure. I've even got it highlighted for you. Let's go to the same verse now in the NIV. You ready? And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about what water baptism is not. All right? Water baptism is not salvation. That's a misinterpretation of 1 Peter 1 or 3.21. All right? Where you've seen the word figure, that's like an antitype. That's like it's the impression that's left by the seal, not the seal itself. Does that make sense? The pledge in the other translation, that's an appeal. That's the expected response in a covenant agreement. Now you may kiss the bride. That's an expected response at the end of that ceremony, correct? That's the pledge has been made. So logic would dictate that if baptism equals salvation, then why would Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 say, I thank God that I have baptized none? See, Scripture will interpret Scripture if you allow it to. This is not rocket science. This is not brain surgery. This is not even rocket surgery. It is right there for what it is and what it's not. It's not a prerequisite for heaven. Some have even cut holes in the ice to baptize immediately lest the new believer miss heaven. I know of a Lutheran pastor who ran three red lights to get to the hospital to baptize an infant because if that infant lost its life, it would go to hell, according to him. I'm sorry, but Pastor Roger's ability to drive a car is not going to be the eternal salvation of a child of mine. You follow? I don't believe that a God, a sovereign God in heaven, relies on stupid stuff like that to determine who gets in and who gets out. You follow? The thief on the cross had no opportunity to be baptized, and yet Jesus said, today, today, buddy, you're going to be with me in paradise. See, this idea is called, are you ready? Don't lose this. This this is the little scholarly portion of the program. This idea is called baptismal regeneration. In other words, that Chuck and Timothy today actually had their salvation finally stamped, And if you believe in baptismal regeneration, if something would have happened to them that God took them home before the ceremony this morning, that their salvation would be in question. I find that to be one of the most appalling things to me as a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ who surrendered my life to this sovereign God, who I call Jesus. So, what else is it not? It's not the washing away of sin. It's symbolic of the blood washing that we get. Let's look at Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you see it? How about now, let's go to 1 John 1.7. 
1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Here it is, ready? And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I got my eyes checked this week. Is it clearer now or is it better now? You know, what, what do you think? Hebrews 9 or 1 John 1? Do you still see it? How about one more? Let me put another lens in front of you. Let's go to Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by being obedient to whatever kind of baptism that you can dream up. No. It says, freed us from our sins by his blood. By his blood. See, the idea of baptismal regeneration is absurd because it presupposes that sin is physical, tangible, and can be washed away by mere water. So then I got a question, what would you do with the water that's now contaminated with sin? You, you get what I'm saying? I mean, it just doesn't make sense as you think it out. Let's go to point number two. Point number two is what water baptism actually is. And did you know that it's rooted in the Old Testament? It's rooted in Exodus. Let's start in Exodus 30. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze and its strand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of the meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his offspring throughout their generations. This is the genesis of water baptism right here. If you go to Israel and you go to the Western Wall, you will be, there is a stand there and all the Jewish people that go there are required to go to that water stand and wash their hands. Then all men have to have their head covered and they have yarmulkes there if you want to put a little yarmulke on. That's how you approach the Western Wall and some of the holy places. It's always with water washing. There's a symbolism there. Jesus did some symbolism with the washing of feet, which some denominations has taken on meaning to them. Okay? So what water baptism is, it starts in Exodus. Then we get to John the Baptist. This is what, what water baptism is. Now, I, I'm going to tell you to write down Matthew 3, 1 through 17. Too long of a run in the middle of this service for me to read it all to you. So I'm going to stick with verses 5 and 6. But you can look it up later. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. To who? To John. This is key. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. All right? And then it was experienced and commanded by Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went out and was baptized by John, right? Then the dove descended on him. And John said, he's the one who's going to legitimize what I'm doing basically what he said. So what did Jesus then say? Well, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives us the great commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's what the church started to do. So then let's get into the early church and a couple scriptures. Again, this is very basic. 
It's so basic, it's like if I'm up here teaching you to tie your shoes, okay? There's no great magician reveal in any of this. It's just right here. So let's go look at what the early church did, because that's what we all get. And you'll see that there's really no reason for us to divide ourselves over this issue. Acts 16.33, let's start with that. This is the early church practicing it. And he took them the same hour, this is the Philippian jail being converted, okay? And he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. This was a huge testimony of conversion, and it also symbolized the washing that has been part of the Jewish culture for years, right? So the Jewish culture is merging with the freedom found in Christ during the book of Acts. It's an amazing journey when you get into it. In in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, this is Philip and the eunuch, okay? And verse 36, and I want you to notice something, okay? I want want you to to notice something here at the end. I'm going to read it to you. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Where's verse 37? Look at it. Did I just admit it? No. Some translations, like the ESV that I'm using here, omit verse 37 because there were a handful of manuscripts that didn't have it. There were a bunch that did, okay? But there were some that didn't. And that's what I love about the Bible is its honesty, And it's so amazing, it's such a miracle that the Bible is held together from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22. Jesus said, my words will stand forever. And everything, if you look up Tyndale and you look up all of these translators, the oppression that our enemy has put on this book and yet it remains. Verse 37, just because it's not in a handful of manuscripts, it's left out and footnoted so that you can make a decision. So now I want to share this with you with the original verse 37. After verse 36 where the eunuch says, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? Some contexts have, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then it's verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. Did you feel that? Did you get that? Let's go on to Cornelius and Peter and the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. The Gentiles are hearing the good news. We live in a Gentile culture here in Harlan, Iowa. Most of us, if not all of us, are Gentiles. If we have Jewish roots, we're probably living like Gentiles. And in 10, 48 and 49, the Spirit falls on the Gentiles. This is a beautiful, beautiful chapter in the Bible. Verse 47 says, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. That's just incredibly cool. But let's go further back in Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. This is another one of the foundational verses that gets us divided up on baptism. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you take Acts chapter 2 and you take 1 Peter chapter 3 in those verses, 
what you're seeing is obedience to Christ's command. The pledge of a good conscience. While not being baptized may not keep you out of heaven, I told you it's not salvation, so it's not going to necessarily keep you out of heaven, but why would you want to rebelliously refuse to be baptized? So disobeying Christ ain't going to help you. So we do it out of good old-fashioned obedience and out of gratitude. And in Acts chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, Paul gets involved with baptism again. And Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Did they have to do it for their salvation? No. No, they didn't. They did it out of obedience. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. So let's go on to point number three. What does it symbolize? If it ain't all that, and it is this, why, why do it? I mean, why not just make it voluntary? Well, because of what it symbolizes. In 1 Peter, the antitype of salvation, you know, Noah's Ark was like an antitype, right? And so you got the antitype, you got the, 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 the impression of the seal, not the seal itself. You've got the cleansing of Jesus' blood. Do you remember what we just read in Hebrews, 1 John, and Revelation? Again, this is, not, this is not hard. So the identification is with Christ. Now, I know this comes across a little bit like a, a seminary class, but I don't know how else to do it other than just lay it out for you. So i got two more scriptures that I think tell the tale really, really closely. You ready? Listen, we're going to go to Romans 6, 3 and 5, then Colossians 2, 8 through 12. Let's go to Romans 6, 3 through 5. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like him. The cessation of breath going down, buried in the water, coming out to symbolize the resurrection. Do you see it? Colossians 2, 8 and 12. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That's my job. My job is to make sure that anybody that hangs out with me here, you will always know what the truth is. We're always going to talk authentically. And it says this, it says, don't be taken captive by philosophy, empty deceit. In the next line, look at it, study it, memorize it. According to what? To biblical explanation? No. According to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. Do you know that God offers you a conversation path with him that goes directly in with this? He says to you, those of you who know Jesus as his Savior, who've surrendered your life, he says, test the spirits with me and see that I don't show you what's what. He'll make it plain to you. Because it is according to Christ when you're living that way. So verse 8 of Colossians 2 says, don't let anybody take you captive. Don't get caught up in human tradition. 
Don't, get, don't let the elemental spirits of the world, which you know, sound good at first, but then at the end of the day when you look underneath, it's just full of rot. No, no, you live according to Christ. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And if you have been filled in him, who is the head in all rule and authority, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, it's all Christ's redemptive work in you. You're not going out and doing anything special like circumcision or any of these other human tradition things. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. Do you see it there? That's it. You're buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Bada bing, bada boom. Or as my buddy says, boom shakalaka. That's like exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Colossians 2, 8 through 12. So it is a testimony to mankind that we are separating ourselves from the world. That's what we're doing. We're separating ourselves from the world. Let's look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Only got a couple more scriptures. You're like, how many scriptures is this guy going to use? This is some of the last ones here. Plus me. I cut her way down. We had more than this, okay? But this is the testimony of mankind. So you've been baptized. You've been redeemed. You've asked Jesus in confession to forgive you of your sins, okay? Here it comes. Here's the big advice that circles all of what we do with our activities. Verse 15 of John, 1 John 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I know of a lot of people who have taken this and twisted it into behavior modification. And I told you when I first came here how my disdain for the line when I was in high school, we don't drink and we don't chew and we don't go with those who do. Oh, we're, so, we're such good little Christians. Ooh. And I'd be over there smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I guess I don't fit in. And instead, the love of Jesus Christ wraps its arms around all of us. And he says, you are forgiven. And sanctification, he starts a good work in you. It's a growth. It's a depth. And out of that good old-fashioned obedience, I want to take the Lord's Supper. I want to be baptized. And I have been, and many of you have, and we can point back to that. And we know that Jesus accepts us just as we are. And And the growth process where we don't think and act like we used to think and act is not because we want to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and be good little boys and girl Christians. It happens because Jesus Christ starts a good work in you and you can't not not change. Does that make sense? You cannot not change. You have to change. It's not that you want to. You don't have a choice in it. It just happens. You start to live out your life in a much more righteous way. And you start finding that righteousness to be so attractive, so clingy, that you just can't wait to experience more of it. And you want to share it with other people. You want to be around other people who love Jesus the same way you do, who are redeemed and they're sinners. They're walking saints who have been sinful, but they've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And that's why you get baptized. And if you have been baptized, that's why you look back at that baptism date and you point to that and you say, that's it. I went down in the water 
dead in my sins. I was buried in there, and then I was brought back to life through Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget, I'll say it every Sunday I get a chance. Jesus Christ did not come to make bad little boys and girls good little boys and girls. He came to make dead people live. And if you are around a group of people that are alive in Jesus Christ, you have a joy that you can't put words on. It's just there. And that's what I want to be a part of. That's what Emily and I want to find in Harland. And with many of you, you found it here, and you know it. And that's what we're going to live out. And baptism is no different. What a symbol. What a symbol that we've been given in baptism for our spiritual journey. Let's go to point four, five, and six quickly. How is it done? Well, there's three forms that have been practiced throughout history on baptism. Immersion, pouring, and sprinkling. And I just believe that some people, if they could have their way, would just have you run by with a fire hose. Eh, I mean, just creative stuff. But it's really those three. And immersion was the preferred mode over pouring and sprinkling because pouring and sprinkling really came about in the, in the dark ages of the church through convenience. Because it is what it is with a proper understanding of what it actually is, does it really matter? I'm all about immersion. I think it's a preferred method. That's what we're going to do as long as I'm pastor here. But I'm not going to condemn anybody that does it a different way. Why? What's that? What's that point about? You know? The Greek word baptizo means to dip or immerse. It was literal, you know, it's transliterated. It's not hard. The biblical precedent strongly suggests immersion. As we have read this morning, you could see it in the scriptures I've already outlined. The origin of pouring and sprinkling, you'd believe, if you believe baptism was salvation, okay, Coming out of convenience and still having the authentic heart about baptism, I don't care how you do it. Use a garden hose. I couldn't care less. Immersion is the preferred method, and that's the method that I believe in, but I'm not going to condemn the other ones. Why? That's stupid. But if you believed in baptismal regeneration, and you believed that someone's salvation was dependent on it, and it's 30 below, and we don't have this tub, well, here, put your head over the sink. I baptize you. Then You get the convenience of it? It's, it's not something I'm going to rip on. So we then, as we discern, decide how we're going to divide ourselves over all of this, then we, as these smart human beings in our human condition, decide, let's fight about the formula. Do you say in Jesus' name or do you say in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Because there's different things. I just read them to you. Let's look again at Matthew 28, 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's not hard. I mean, again, the preferred method. If somebody baptized somebody just in the name of Jesus, would I take such offense to the Trinity that I just, I can't look at them, I can't talk to them, they will not be my friends. And I do this in the love of Jesus. Thank you for seeing how stupid that is. See, point number five, when is it done? After true repentance. In Acts 2.8, it's pretty simple. It's a symbol, significant, uh, you know, it's insignificant without the reality. Therefore, baptism without true repentance is meaningless, according to the scriptures. Look at Acts 2.38 again. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, why don't we baptize like what Peter said at the start of the church in Acts 2 and just to do it in Jesus' name? 
Because Jesus told us later to do it in the name of the Trinity. That's why. So if you're tracking with me, some may say that infant baptism is meaningless, that it is a carryover of baptismal regeneration theology. I happen to go to a seminary that taught differently than that, and they did infant baptism. See, the, the thought is, is that any, any baptism without true repentance is without meaning. But the argument is often made that sometimes infant baptism is later made legitimate by the repentance of somebody later in life. Did you hear me? That's kind of the argument. And should we divide ourselves over that argument? I'm telling you no. That no. It symbolizes cleansing, then it should take place after the cleansing has taken place. That's common sense. Therefore, a prodigal returning home could be baptized again. There's many people that I know have been baptized a second or a third time, and I find nothing wrong with that. They're not testifying that their, that their first baptism was illegitimate or their second baptism was illegitimate. No. They're saying, I have had a hard time, and I want to re-identify myself with Christ, and they will be re-baptized. I have now baptized, I don't know what the number is, we think it's probably, it could be 85, it could be 112, I never counted, but a lot of people I've baptized in the Jordan River in Israel, and I'm going again in June, and I will baptize more people in the Jordan River, and what I stress to them is don't let this be a tourist activity, don't, let's not, let's not desecrate it, but to be baptized in the Jordan River like your Savior, because of who you are, and that's something that's meaningful for you, then all, then by all means, you're not going to hear me criticize it. See, let it be a holy moment of obedience wherever you are, wherever you are in this journey. And either way, I like to say two things. Don't miss this either. Ready? Number one, let's not find ways to divide ourselves. And number two, we're here to proclaim, not debate. We're, we're, we're here to proclaim what the Word actually says. And in that, we come across with it represents obedience, we do it by immersion, and we do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. Now what you do is up to you, and unless there's something flat out heretical in it, I won't stand against it, why would I? In fact, this issue dogged us for over a dozen years, because I was baptized as an infant, and I was never immersed in the water. And I said to people all the way leading up to 2012 when I finally went to Israel, I said, if I ever am lucky enough to go to Israel, I'll be baptized in the Jordan like my Savior. And that was a special moment for me. And the person who did the baptism is completely insignificant. It doesn't matter who does the actual dunking. In a church like this, it should be one of the elders that does the officiating. I mean, that's proper. But who actually does the dunking, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So that leads us to our last point. Is it necessary? Is it necessary? I just made a big case that it really doesn't, it's not required for salvation. It's not the washing away of sins. The only thing that it really is good for is being obedient to the word of God and it strengthens your faith and makes a public testimony to all who are witnessing your baptism that you now belong to Jesus, right? So why is it necessary? Well, I think it just comes down to do you want to be the Lord's? Do you want to be obedient to Jesus? Not being baptized will not keep you out of heaven. 
If you are not baptized, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. But if you have some sort of rebellious refusal in your heart to not obey King Jesus, I'm asking you, what is that going to help? What are you solving by being obstinate to something the Lord has commanded you to do? So, some of you have never been baptized in water because you didn't think it was important. And I don't want you to ever be embarrassed to think that, oh, I've already been baptized, I want to be rebaptized. Oh, I've never been baptized, so now I want to do it. And people will think that, you know, what are they going to Who cares? The first step in coming to Jesus is I don't give a rip what you all think. I care about what Jesus thinks. And here's the thing. You all, if you don't know this, let me be the first to share it with you. You are sitting in a room with a group of people that have been tried hard over the last 150 days, and they have come out of that trial shining like a sun of, uh, you know, like a flower basking in the sun. The love of Jesus Christ is here all throughout the room. There are sold out believers in Jesus Christ all throughout this room. You have come to the right place where you won't be judged where you will be loved, and it's not because these are great, cool people. It's because they've been changed by the love of Jesus Christ. And Emily and I are here to witness to you about that. So forget what everybody else may think and be obedient to God. And then maybe you might want to join us in our next group for baptism, whenever that may be. And that may even be in the next half an hour, if you want. We can make Brian get in the tub. Hey, if it's you being obedient to your Lord and it's going to make you stronger in Jesus, I'll jump in there with you. Just let me put the microphone away so I don't electrocute myself. You see what I'm saying? And I have been telling anyone who will listen for the last decade that darkness is coming. Find yourself. Plant your feet. Know where God wants you to be. And I'm so grateful that many of you are called by Jesus to be right here with us. But if you're called to go somewhere else, Let us help you. Let us make it about his kingdom and not our own. Let me tell you something. When you are about to throw down, when you're about to get into a fight, the number one thing you need is your legs. I was taught how to punch as an amateur boxer as a kid. My family's been fighting for years. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with any of you guys about it. But the number one thing you have is your stance. Your stance can help you defend, and your, your, your legs can give you the power when you launch. And so you come to this church on Sunday, I want you to know, I'm trying to give you the tools so that you can stand. Get your stance ready. Baptism is one of many things. And in that stance, you will be strengthened by Christ, and he will make you stronger. Because that, at the end of the day, is what it's all about. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just love you and thank you and praise you. Lord, we thank you for the sacrament of baptism and what it actually means. Lord, we thank you that it is a call for us to be obedient. And we thank you that it is a public symbol where we can let everybody know we don't care. My sins have been washed away, not by the water, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show. 
that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.